Good morning. Uh, we are live here at the Ledge Community Coffee House in downtown Squamish. We have human beings in-house. Amen? Thank you for being here. It is really, really wonderful. My name is Glenn, by the way, uh, one of the pastors here at the Rock Church, bringing the word with you this morning, which is an honor for me. i got a couple of quick announcements uh, for you, uh, and then we'll dive into uh, today's second message in the Knowing Jesus series. First is, and this is just a heads up, but I got an email uh, Friday, yes, from the head of our denomination in British Columbia, who had been on a Zoom or a conference call of some kind with Dr. Bonnie Henry and the, those in charge of gathering and our health and all the rest of it. And apparently they are going to be lifting, um, and they'll give us more instructions this week, but they're going to be lifting rules for gathering completely on July 1st. That's pretty remarkable. So, <laughs> so just, just a, a, pray about that, please. And, and, uh, but also, church, uh, we're going to need to be talking about how are we going to do that? Because uh, we've got rooms upstairs that are empty and therefore your kids. So that's remarkable. That could be happening. And so we need to think about that, pray about that, and plan for that. So that's one announcement. Secondly, um, and I'll just mention this this morning, we had a prayer time last week. Uh, I want to encourage you to continue to pray uh, for specifically today for, uh, of, co- of course, the, the whole uh, truth and reconciliation. We can't let uh, circumstances that happen be past news. Uh, news that we don't pay any attention to anymore. We prayed about it one time and that's just it. No, <laughs> this is an ongoing issue. And so we are continually working this out in our own community, reaching out to the people of Squamish Nation uh, and letting them know we love you. Uh, we are with you. We are walking with you. We want to serve you. Please tell us how we can do that. Um, so church, we want to continue to pray about that. Also want to continue to pray for our sister Ingrid who I believe has had three of her chemo treatments, has one more of the six uh, next week. And so continue to pray for her, particularly for uh, the the effects of this and the medication she's taking to help deal with it. Uh, Had a a chance to meet with her husband, Norm, this week, and uh, uh, such a strong couple. Yeah. Despite strength, please pray for Norm as well and uh, for their daughter, uh, and uh, son-in-law who have moved here to Squamish for this time to be with them. And yeah, continue to pray for her. Also pray for Bertie Funk's uh, father who's in hospital in Winnipeg. Um, he's still on a ventilator uh, battling COVID. Um, so the good news is that there has been some good news. Oxygen levels are up. He is on the ventilator and uh, mom and uh, his wife has been able to have a FaceTime with him. So there's some encouraging news, but this can go on. So let's continue to hold him up, John is his name, I believe, uh, in prayer as uh, we do that. Finally, this morning, and, and I'll just pray a, a prayer of introduction in a second over all those things, but also, would you pray for our live stream? As far as I know right now, it's working fine. Yes, John did the thumbs up. So we've had two weeks of glitches and gremlins. We, we, we have some idea of what was causing that, but today we're thinking it's working, which is awesome. So I want to pray as we open this morning uh, for those things, but also for our time together this morning. So Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the opportunity to to gather uh, as your church, as the church. Lord, it's so important. We know that. Um, We know that your word encourages us not to forsake the gathering of the church. And yet, Lord, what has happened over the last uh, 14 to 16 months has made that a challenge for us. So Lord, I pray uh, for all the churches in Squamish for that matter, but 
for this church especially uh, from my heart. Lord, would you, uh, would you put it on our hearts to, uh, no matter what, to gather, whether it's online, whether it's here in person. Um, Lord, would you give us wisdom as to how we should do that in the weeks ahead as restrictions are lifted and we can gather once again. So, Lord, we need wisdom. We need, uh, we need to be able to do this uh, appropriately for our church, for our body, as to how we feel about this, but specifically how you would lead us and guide us in that. Lord, we, uh, we continue to pray for the people of our First Nations communities across Canada, uh, but especially here in Squamish, for Squamish Nation. Lord, would you, uh, would you continue to comfort their hearts as they continue to deal with not only what was revealed and exposed in Kamloops, but what they know to be true probably elsewhere. So, Lord... Uh, yeah, again, would you, would you encourage their hearts? Would you let them know that um, we love them and, more importantly, that you truly love them? We pray for sickness. We pray for Irene and for John, Lord. We pray that you would heal them. We pray that you would completely, completely heal um, Ingrid of, uh, of her cancer and restore her to her husband and family in the way that she was before perfectly, maybe even better. Would you heal her? And same for John, Lord. Would you bring him off ventilator shortly, strengthen his lungs and his body to be able to fight this disease? Lord, I just want to thank you for this time together this morning in your word. Lord Jesus, these are your words we get to read and hear today. So Holy Spirit, I pray you are the one that needs to do the work. We know that. And so the work that I would like to ask you to do today, Lord, is would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts? Would you change our hearts? Would you do that work? I pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We're in our second message in the series called Knowing Jesus, How to Hear, See, and Be More Like Him. As Rudy mentioned last Sunday to those of you who are here and were watching online, uh, the impetus for this series came out of uh, the, of much prayer um, and came out of the fact that, you know, Rudy had preached a series uh, near the end of my sabbatical called Knowing God, and then unbeknownst to him that I'm thinking about identity, which is about knowing ourselves, hmm, who was in charge of that. And, and out of that came the idea that, okay, we, we learned this. We learned in that series, in both of those series, that the reality is, is to, to, in, to know God, to truly know the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, we need to know ourselves. It, seems, it sounds a bit paradoxical and a bit of a paradigm, and it is. We need to know ourselves, but here's the thing. We need to know ourselves as we truly are. And so in the Identity Series, we learned that we need to know ourselves as our old self, born out of our old nature. Well, why? Well, because Jesus has provided us with a brand new identity. We are new creations in Christ, and we have a true self that is out there that he predestined for us to actually live in. And so the Christian life is about getting there. Day by day, it's about transformation. It's about what we call sanctification. And so we really thought that this would be uh, really important to do a series like this where, where, where we're now going back to, again, knowing God and knowing Jesus, the God-man who came in the flesh, lived, spoke as the Word of God, spoke truth, lived it out day by day. And we know this. We all know this. We're supposed to have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? Amen? You've been to the flannel, you know, the flannel graph Sunday school class. We all know that. It's more than that. But in order to do that, friends, we have to 
spend time with Him. And we need to do that when we open God's Word. We need to not just read the words that are on the page. We need to look at Him, see Him, experience Him, maybe in new ways. And so the the point of the series is, as I mentioned at the end of the Identity series, is to every word of God that we look at week in, week out, the whole point of it is not just to hear a lesson and walk away and go, oh, that's really amazing. I learned something. No, no, that's good. But, but, But to walk away going, the Holy Spirit wants to use that to continue me along the process of the transformation of my heart into the person that he wants me to be, the person that he's already destined me to be. That's the point of doing this today. I'm pretty excited about that. Are you? I think that's the whole point. So today we're going to be looking at probably one of the most famous parables of Jesus ever. I'm positive that you've heard it preached many times by some pretty gifted preachers. I I have preached it at the Rock Church over the last 12 years twice that I can remember before, once through the Gospel of Luke that we've been going through for some time, and then as as a one-off at one point in time. It is my favorite, absolute favorite parable, and here's why. At 23 years of age, which is not that long ago, okay, it's a while ago, I walked into the first Protestant church that I'd ever been in in my life as a lapsed Catholic, long-haired, hippie, rock and roll musician, living the life. I'm not going to get into the details. It wasn't pretty. But can, you can just imagine, right? You know, you know, inhaling substances, you know, girls. This is awesome. And through meeting my wife, my girlfriend at the time, we end up going to this little Protestant church across the street from our apartment because God's doing a work in her life and in mine. And I go into this church, and I'm raised Catholic, so I'm like, okay, what are these people all about, really? Like, is this legit, you know? Uh, there's no collar. There's like, you know. And um, the preacher who was there that day preached this parable. It's the first time I'd ever heard. Not only the Bible opened and taught like that, but it was the first time in my life that I actually heard the gospel. And the thing is, is this, and I'm not bragging by this, believe me when I say this, I heard the gospel after the initial reading of the parable, as we will do today, before Jesus gets to the explanation. Because the Holy Spirit, as he was reading this and, and talking about it just briefly for a moment, was going, yeah, Glenn, yeah, yeah, this soil, yeah, that soil, this soil, you. Why? Because you need to be cut to the heart. And you need to actually trust me as your Lord and Savior. Glad you're here but I want to change you. I heard that. I really did. That parable changed my life forever. I think for the better. Now, of course, it was Jesus and the Holy Spirit that did the changing, but he used, listen, this is important for us to understand when we do this today. He used that man on that day just to read it and talk about it briefly. And then he used all of the men and women in that church, small little church in downtown Toronto, a gospel hall. If any of you know what that is, you'll be like, ooh, really? And, and uh, they just loved on me. They looked at me. They didn't judge me. They could have. Maybe some of them did. It was a remarkable experience. So here's how we're going to do this today. I want to ask you to do this with me today. First, we're going to read the parable. 
Second, we'll talk about the interlude that happens between the time that Jesus preaches not just this parable, but a few others on that same day. But then there's an interlude where he speaks to his disciples, and they've got some questions for him about the parable because they didn't get it. The crowd didn't either. And then we're going to look at, lastly, of course, um, what he tells them, how he teaches them about the parable. So let me ask you to do this today. Let me encourage you to do this. Something that I did in my sabbatical that I was encouraged to do by uh, um, a pastor who I read a book and listened to an audible from, and that is, is just listen, open the word of God, go to stories about Jesus, gospel stories or parables, and just don't try to work out a sermon, preacher. Don't try to figure out the, the go-to points. Just imagine him. Imagine what's going on here. You know what? It works. I hope it will do that for you today. So let me read the parable for you, beginning in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. And I want you to do this. Just, just You can watch it on. It's not going to be on screen. You can read it on your Bible. You can have it on your app. That's fine. But listen, I want to read it slowly and just hear and see and imagine what's actually going on here with Jesus. Put yourself in the place with him 2,000 years ago. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some 30, some 60, pardon me, some 30. Jesus ends with these words. He who has ears, let him hear. So, let's look at the scene together. Let's set the scene. First of all, Jesus had been previously in the home of a Pharisee, you know, the religious guys who are trying to figure out who he is. But more than anything, they're, they're, they're trying to find out ways to discredit him and prove to the people who are following him in huge, huge crowds by the thousands. And they're getting a little worried here. But he's in this Pharisee's home and he's having a dinner. And, and, and so what we see is that he gets up, he leaves the home, and, and he goes to uh, the shore by the Sea of Galilee, we presume, and he sits down. Now, now Maybe we can imagine that he's just like, you know, I could use some time to myself with my heavenly father, which he liked to do, to go and pray. But at first, he's alone by himself, gathering some thoughts. And of course, what we see is the crowd. 
In verse 2 it says, And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. So Jesus assesses the situation. As soon as they all get there and they're all behind him, he, he basically he stands up and he's like, well, I don't have a head-worn mic and an amplifier like Glenn does. So, and, and the people in the second row or the third row, and, and there's, there's hundreds there, potentially over a thousand people there. We know that from the other gospels and the stories uh, that that's how many people would follow him at time. So he's like, okay, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach them something. I'm going to speak to them. So he, he sees a boat. He gets into a boat, goes out about 10 to 15 in the boat, and he sits down. Two things about that, first of all. Sitting down tells us that he is a rabbi, because that's actually how rabbis taught. I thought of getting a, you know, a nice, comfy little side chair here for this morning and kind of emulating that, just sitting down and being like a rabbi. No, I'm going to stand here. Um, but secondly, the reason probably was Jesus is God, right? So he knows what's going on here, naturally. And he knows if I get down closer to the water, my voice will reflect off the water and they will hear me. And so that's what he's doing. So now watch this. It's important. He tells them the parable that we just heard, and that's it. It's like me saying right now, thanks for coming, good night. Some of you are going, great, lunch. That's it, guys. That's all he does. That's really important for us to see that. Now, now as you know, we're, as we're going to go on, and those of you who know the story, he is going to privately explain this parable to his disciples. But what we need to understand is, for the crowd, that's it. Nothing more is said about this parable to the crowd. So, Let's think about that for a moment. What do you think is going through their minds? Like the crowd, right? They're like, <clears throat> okay, great. That's, okay, are you done? What, what, what are they thinking? What's going through their minds? And secondly, why, why would Jesus do that? Why would he just tell a parable? Like, you know, that was a common thing for Jesus to be doing, but it was a common thing for rabbis to do as well. Why would he just give that parable and say, why would he walk away? Well, let me suggest this. First of all, most of the people who are in that crowd who came to see and hear Jesus, came for the wrong reasons, right? Most of them were coming thinking, okay, I, you know, we, we know some people here have got, you know, they're, they're, they need a healing or they need a miracle, and so maybe we're going to see one of those things happen again because that's amazing. You know, you see a, a, a lame beggar get up and walk away and pick up his coat and his blanket and just, he's walking again. It's amazing. Or, better still, there's going to be free sushi, right? He's going he's gonna to multiply some more fishes and loaves, and he's going to feed all of us. Wouldn't that be lovely? We're by the sea. Come on, pull up a net full of fish, do a miracle, and feed us. Am I just making all that up? Well, no. If you, if you go back in the Gospels and you look at the history of these, these men and women, that's what they were doing. They were looking to get something for Jesus for themselves. So most of them, I think, heard this parable, and it's, it's also possible they would have thought something like this. Well, that's just dumb. That's just dumb. Listen, okay, yes, we're an agrarian society. We know what sowers do. We know the story. We know all of that. But, but no farmer, listen, Jesus, from the way you presented that, it sounds to us like you're, like you're just saying you just throw seeds anywhere. You don't care willy-nilly. Just throw them all over the place. No farmer in his right mind today would do that. They would have been right to think that. 
It's interesting. Is that what Jesus said? Is that what he actually said? But people assume things, right? People assume things when Jesus says things, and they don't believe him, and then they walk away. People assume things when I say things, and anyway... Uh, it's just the way things tend to work from time to time. But also they would have been saying, hang, hang on a second. <laughs> this is lovely. It's a wonderful story. But nobody sees that kind of productivity. Nobody sees a hundredfold, 60 or 30. No one. So as we've seen with crowds before in the Gospels, if you read them, you're going to see this. Probably what happened at that point is most of them just walked away. They went, hmm, no light show today, no free food. This guy's really not much of a rabbi. Let's move on. So typically, of course, most of you know from the parable or other teaching, this is the way it was supposed to go. A farmer would grab a, a sack or bag that would go over his shoulder, and, and all the seeds would be in the bag. And, and, of course, he would put his hand in the bag. And as he'd walking along the path... In his, in his land, he would start casting the seeds in the land. And so you know, that's exactly what they would do. And everybody in that day would know that, that they would do that. And the seeds would fall on the soil. But inevitably, of course, some of the seeds, and listen, go back to the parable if you want. I'll just highlight for you because Jesus actually says some of the seeds fell on the path. He didn't say, I took the seeds and I cast them all over the path. That's what people assume. Somebody did. He took it out of the bag. Some naturally are going to fall on the path. And then he started casting them. Or the sower did. And of course, everyone would know the idea would be that you'd want every, every piece of land in the Mediterranean, everybody knew this. That doesn't matter where it was in the Mediterranean, there were parts of your land that were really, really good soil. And there were others that were rocky, right? They usually were a little bit more of a mound-like, but that the soil was only a few feet deep. And then you could see the thorns, he could see the bushes, right? So any farmer with his, what would he be doing when he's casting the seed? Well, he'd be trying to cast it towards what he already knows. He knows his land. He knows the soil. And he would try to cast it to the good soil. However, there's wind. <laughs> Hello, Monsanto. Just thought of that. Right? Seed can get blown into other places. Again, in the parable, he doesn't say, I was casting seed intentionally. However... We'll have a look at that in a second, and we will think about it. Now, here's what, of course, many of you smart gardeners do today, especially those of you who've learned permaculture from my wife, right? You make a beautiful little bed, you know, and you get really clean soil. You mix some manure into it, right? And you, you till it up there, and it's all beautiful. You make it aerated a little bit, and then you put your finger in, and you take your little precious little seeds that, you, you know, you got mailed to you, or you got it, you know, Home Depot or whatever in a, in a little envelope, and you start placing them into the thing there, and you put the seed in, you know, like you water it a little bit, and then, and then, and then you leave it for four months, right? No. But that, that's what we do, right? That's, that's the permaculture way. And you do that because why? Why do you plant seeds? What are you hoping for? This is not a trick question. Somebody. A harvest. <laughs> there we go. Yes, a harvest. That's why you're doing it. And so that's also why, by the way, when you plant the seeds, you're just not going to leave them for four months and walk away. Because you've invested something here. You've, you've done something really important with these seeds. And so let me ask this question. Do you not think that Jesus, the creator of the universe, <laughs> who made every seed that there is, 
doesn't know that? Rhetorical question. So then exactly, what is he doing here? Because it sounds like sloppy farming, and sometimes preachers have preached it that way. He didn't care. He, listen, I think there's a really good point there. There is a good point, and we're going to get to it as we un, unpack the actual explanation from Jesus. When it comes to the gospel, he's indiscriminate, and we should be too. But that's actually not the point that's being made here, in the beginning anyway. So in verses 10 to 17, Jesus explains why he speaks in parables to his disciples. After telling the crowd this and a few other parables, Jesus departs and is alone with his disciples, and they ask him this question. Jesus, listen, watch these words. Why do you speak to them that way? It's their words. And then over the next seven verses, Jesus essentially explains to them something that is very hard for us to hear today. I think it was very hard for his disciples as well. And Jesus starts with, in verse 11, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Well, I think to our modern and culturally sensitized ears, that doesn't sound right, does it? That doesn't sound like Jesus. It's almost like us and them. Jesus essentially says this here. God has chosen, has decided that some will know, understand, and believe. And others will not. It's pretty hard. These are the words. This won't be on screen, but I'm going to read you his explanation to the disciples. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they, look, understand. That's a critical word in our story today. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, Isaiah prophesies that people would be like this. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their eyes, they can barely hear. And their, their ears, pardon me, they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes. For they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you're seeing right now, I will add, and did not see it, and to hear what you are hearing right now, and did not hear it. So this part of the parable, I feel, is often overlooked, but it's so important. We hear that the problem that most people who make up the crowd have is their, did you see it? The problem that they have is their, what, their their brains? They're not smart enough. They can't figure this out. They've misunderstood that this is a parable. It's something else. It's a metaphor. It's a teaching about something else. No, it says that their problem is their hearts. And as we will see, as Jesus unpacks the parable for us, it is that each soil that he speaks about represents various 
human hearts that are alive and well today. And it is their response to the seed, which is the word of God that we see here, that in their very hearing is being cast by the sower. I mean, here he is. By, spoiler alert, by the way, Jesus is the sower, right? The seed is the word of God. And, and they're seeing, they're hearing him say this. So be sure you see this. There are those whose hearts are so hard, they don't allow the seed, the word, to speak to them at all. They reject it. It bounces right off of them. And so I make that point because sometimes we look at this parable and go, it's just the people on the path or the rocky soil or on the thorny soil or in the good soil that this is about. No, these are hearts too. And there's a large number of people who have hearts like that. Do you think there are any people in our world today who have hearts like that? Like they just don't want to hear a single Bible verse from you? <laughs> they don't want to know anything about your church. In fact, the, the fact that you go to a church, they pretty much don't like you. Any, just anybody. Might be a few. I think those are some of the examples that we see today in our world today. These are those who, who will make up the thorns which we will see later, and their number is many. They are those who are more concerned with, again, as we'll see in the explanation, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches of this world. And boy, are we rich. They are hardened people like atheists. They have hard hearts. They are those who place their faith in facts and science, not in some God in the sky and and of course, in the material world, they are those who live for their wealth, for their comfort, and for their own personal idols. There are many people who will not even allow one word of the gospel to penetrate their minds, let alone their hearts. They will hate us for even posting verses, as I said. Not because of what you believe. They just don't want to hear it. This, this, this is, by the way, and I, I hope in conclusion you'll see this, this should not discourage us at all but is in fact what we see Jesus do. And if you look at him, can imagine one more time, go back. He gets in the boat, he sits down, and he looks at the crowd. What is his motivation, do you think, at that moment? What is his heart? Well, how about for God so loved the world? <laughs> his heart was he loved every single one of them. And so he cast some seeds. He preached some seeds. I don't know if I need to remind you, but Jesus also preached one time about a narrow gate and a very wide road. So now, regardless, let's listen and see this. Who is he or she who has ears? Who do you think? When Jesus says, he or she who has ears, who is that? Hello? <laughs> Everyone. Now, some people are deaf and can't hear, and sometimes that can be fixed. But when Jesus says... He or she who has ears, he's saying, everyone listen. Listen to what I'm saying to you. So as I've said already, please see this. Jesus is actually indiscriminate. He, he loves the whole world. Jesus brings the word of the kingdom to everyone because he would have that every single human being would be saved. Amen? Yes, he would. So, friends, as we go into this community and world bringing the good news of the gospel to those who have not heard, let us not forget this. I, I think, actually, in, in my hearing in the past, 
sometimes in the church, after a sermon like this has been preached, but it could be any sermon, I've, I've heard people sometimes saying, you know, I don't know if it's even worth our time. You know, those people over there that believe that or are living that way, I mean, really, is it even worth our time? Jesus thinks it is. Obviously, we do too. So let's not think that way. All right, let's unpack this parable and discover its meaning. Jesus explains to his disciples in verses 18 and 19, he says, Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So again, first, many times when I've heard this parable preached, the emphasis is on the soil, right? The emphasis is on the soil. And, and the idea or the application is that you and I need to be the right soil, right? In other words, hear this again. It's like we got to do something. It's not the gospel. So, so would it be helpful to be good soil? Yes, but that's not even up to us. Let's understand that. But it's the application is be the right kind of soil so the seed can have an impact on our hearts. However, if we carefully pay attention to the story as Jesus is telling it here, if we truly hear, we would see that the seed is, as I've mentioned, the word of the kingdom of God that Jesus has been preaching about throughout his whole ministry. That's what it is. It's about how you get into the kingdom of God. That's what he's preaching. So the first thing that I believe we need to do is focus our attention not on the soils or even the seed per se, but on who? The sower. Listen, if you're looking for a title for this sermon, it's pretty simple. Jesus gives it to us right here in the text. He calls it the parable of the sower. So it's pretty, pretty clear. So now look at this. If you go back to the parable as Jesus preached to the crowds, he said it was the birds who came, right, and devoured them. He said that in the parable when he told the crowd that, which is, which is what he said. In Luke's telling of this parable, he mentions that people walking along the path had trampled the seed into the soil, and so that was, was not good for the seed, obviously, and, and it wasn't able to germinate and grow as a result of that. But here, as Jesus explains it to his disciples and to you and I right now, he makes it very clear. He makes it extremely clear. He says it is the work of the devil. It is the work of the evil one who comes and snatches the seed that was sown in their hearts and he snatches it away. And so it's not the trampling of the, or, or the birds that are the real issue, is it? No, again, it's their hearts. They heard yes, but like the path, their hearts are hard impenetrable to the word of God and the relationship with others who also have hard hearts probably isn't helping them. And we'll see more of that when we get into thorny soil, right? It contributes to the word of Jesus being stamped out. Now, who would possibly maybe be influencing those people who are thorny? Yeah. Evil ones at work all over the place here. Well, and, and then as well as we'll see that there's this other player in relation to the soil, and of course it is the devil. So here's an important question with soil number one. Important question that we all need to answer this question, by the way. Are these people saved? Will these people be part of the harvest? The answer is no. 
Jesus makes that very clear here. They will not. It is snatched away. Verses 20 to 21, we move on to the next soil. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, he or she has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when, look at these words, tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he or she falls away. So again, uh, as I've alluded to before, most commentators and historians agree that in the area surrounding the Mediterranean, a lot of fields in that area had rocky ground. And, and yet it wasn't obviously visible at first because it was maybe a foot or two down below what looked like good soil. Again, a farmer who knows his land is going to figure that out after a while. I mean, you don't have to dig too deep to find it, but you can also sow there one season and go, man, it, it, obviously there's rock down there. Look what happened to the seed. And so they would see that, covering it. So that's why we read, no root. Clearly, seed will not germinate and grow on rock by itself. So the seed that is sown in this very, look, shallow soil seems to get a start, endures for a while, and then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, it's underlined for you, right? That's important. It's critical. He or she falls away. So it's interesting that it's interesting, I believe, because in the parable he said it was also due to the scorching sun. And and why would he say that? Well, again, in farming terms, that makes sense. You know, the little seed pops up, or pardon me, a plant starts to pop up, but it's not got any root, and and it's it's. Even watering, it's not going to help it much. The sun bears down on it, and what's that going to do? It's going to kill it. It's literally going to kill it. But it's also, come on, this is metaphorical. This is tribulations and persecutions. It's heat. Heat being brought upon a person's heart. By what? By the world. Around them. Wait a second, you went to a a Christian church and you were... You kind of thought the sermon meant something? Like, what is wrong with you? You lost your mind? Really? You know. Oh, and by the way, if you're going to keep doing that, like, I don't know, you and I probably can't hang out together anymore. Tribulations, persecutions, heat. And so this on account of the word is very important, again, because it's, 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 it's about the truth of what the Bible teaches. And that's where you're going to receive, and people who are that type of soil, have that type of heart, that's what's going to cause them to stumble. They hear, but the problem with their hearts is that their faith is very shallow. And when heat comes, they fall away. Happens today. Soil number two, question. Are they saved? Are they going to be part of the harvest? No. Wide road. They maybe have listened and heard, but yeah, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, moving on to some other new religion, new way of life. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Listen, I, every time I read these things, even right now, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and I, I'm thinking to myself, this is... Jesus, who's saying these words, 
Why? Because he loves you. He loves me. He loves everybody. But he's also the one who knows your heart, my heart, everyone's heart better than anyone else. 2,000 years ago, he uttered these words. Are these true today? Absolutely. 100%. So here's a soil and a soul, I will add, a heart, that gives many commentators, theologians, and pastors pause. This is a troublesome one for some of us. Uh, Many are not sure about these, quote, real people. I mean, here we have people who, just like all the others, hear the word, but here's their problem. And it's important that we see this because this could be some of us in this room. Could be some of us watching. This parable, at this point, about this seed, tells us that as soon as they heard the word, and we assume... We assume they believed. Why do we assume they believed? Because, man, they, looked, they, were, they were in. They were serving. They were, this is remarkable, sometimes they were even tithing. You know, like, and sometimes they were sharing the gospel with people. You know, so, sometimes it looked like, and they were doing this, and the parable makes it sound like they didn't last very long. The parable makes it sound like, you know, maybe a few weeks, a couple of months, whatever. No, that's not what it's implying. No, because it's implying that they started to grow up and thorns started to grow up with them. That takes some time. But eventually what happens is their hearts. So they try to go on with their life and what they heard about Jesus, but they can't. And here's why. It's what the thorns actually represent. You know what the thorns represent in this parable? Metaphorically, one word, division. They represent division. So whereas the first soil is hard and the second is shallow, the third is devastating because it is the life that many who believe they are Christians and are trying to live. One foot, listen, one foot in the church and one foot where? In the world. All the time believing and thinking they're a Christian. So not hard or shallow, but divided in themselves. And so then look what it says. Cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches. These are the thorns that choke out faith, by the way. That's what they are. Thorns are also every other religion and worldview that competes with the gospel of the kingdom of God. The word cares in the Greek is a really important word. It's an interesting word because it's it's the kind of word that it can change uh, through every epoch. It relates to really, you know, the, what are the cares of the what were the cares of the world back in the days of Jesus? Disease, <laughs> without penicillin, you know. Sure, there were cares about marriage and food and all the rest of it, but there were, these things change over time. What are the cares today of our culture today? Think about it. Anybody on social media? <laughs> what, is it, what does it appear that everybody cares the most about? If you don't care about the things that I care about. And what's wrong with you? Oh, right, you're a Christian. You care about that type of justice. That kind of gospel. So as I said, this particular soil gives a lot of pastors difficulty. Because you want to know why? And I'm not assuming this when I look at it, don't, please. A lot of pastors in maybe three, four, five, six hundred person churches, they're looking out, and you know what? They know for a fact there's some people in their church that are this soil. And so they, they want to be really careful 
And, and you know, I don't want to, you know, I do too. But I have to tell you the truth. Soil number three. Are they saved and part of the harvest? The text teaches us, and the rest of the gospel does, by the way. They're not. The word look is choked out and proves unfruitful. If a plant doesn't produce fruit, there's no harvest. Not part of the harvest. As for what was sown in verse 23, it's good news, always is. (laughs) On good soil, this is the one who hears the word and important word that I mentioned earlier, under stands it. I want to make a really important point here. This isn't the person that hears the word, goes to church for two or three years, goes to seminary, reads every systematic theology book on the planet, argues and debates every doctrine of the Bible and belief that the church has over and over and over again, and then declares, I understand now. No, actually, many people who do that end up really confused. Not everybody, but many do. This word simply means you hear the word in the simple reading of the word. And like I did when I was 23 year age in downtown Toronto in that gospel hall, I understood that I was a sinner and that I needed Jesus to save me and to change me. And from that point on, as I read the word, did I find things difficult? Did I find things in the word of God where I went? Do I find them today where I go, I don't know. I, I, I don't, and, and, well, I know that people in the world and culture are going to hate this, so I don't know. This is not easy to teach, preach, and live out, but, but I understand. Simple understanding of the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God. So in this soil, the seeds of God's Word don't find hard or divided hearts but souls that soak it up. Souls that can't get enough of God's word, of daily devotions, of hearing the word preached on a Sunday morning, even by an average preacher. We're all average. That's okay. They allow it to soak them up as well, allowing the Holy Spirit to sink deep roots that provide a harvest of character in this life today and for eternity. And as I mentioned in the identity series, this is an important point at this point to understand. It takes patience. (laughs) It takes time to let the old Glenn die and allow the Lord to grow me and teach me. So here's a parable that exhorts every Christian to regularly sit and truly listen, really listen to the preaching of God's word, not mine or any other preacher, but his word. His word. So in conclusion this morning, let me try to give you a few key transformational takeaways, applications from this for you in your walk with Christ. And, and listen, your ministry that you are all called to in this community today in this beautiful town of Squamish. First, I'll just note this. Seeds are pretty powerful, aren't they? Little tiny seeds. Little tiny seeds. Really, really remarkable. Seeds are the basis for everything that grows. It's the basis for everything that grows, is a seed. Their funny little secret is this. They have a secret. They technically, in scientific terms, need to die. 
That's what happens when you put them in the soil. They, 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 they die first, and then they germinate. And I'm not a scientist like, or a gardener like my wife, but I get the process, right? And then, then they start to grow if they're in good soil. Well, the Word of God is indeed good soil. Amen? It's good indeed, and it produces good soil. But here's the deal for you and I, and some of you love it when I say this. But the truth is, every single one of us in the Christian life needs to die to our old self. And then we need to go. Let me quickly show you five ways we can participate in the harvest. Number one should be obvious at this point. We need to hear and understand the Word of God in the simple reading of the Word of God. Don't question it. Don't listen to the enemy who said to Eve, did God really say? Don't do that. Listen to the Word of God. Understand it by faith. Trust it with your whole heart for your salvation now and in this life and for your eternity. Secondly, we need to be hearers and doers of the Word. You guys all love it when I quote James 1.22, right? Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. That's not on screen, but come on. Like, you, you hear, why is Jesus preaching this great sermon? Why is he teaching his disciples this? Why? So, hey, guys, you can be like the crowd, and when it's all said and done, hey, go enjoy your life and, you know, have a good few meals on me, and cheers, Jesus, thanks for dying, it's all been great. No! Go! Number three, we need to be sowers of the word. Again, that should be pretty obvious, right? You'll all remember when Jesus called his first disciples, what did he say? We saw this in the Identity Series, this is... Peter, James, John, you guys, follow me, and I will do what? I will make you fishers of men. He could have easily just as well said, I will make you sowers of seeds. Isn't, isn't it remarkable? Is it remarkable to you that here we read him, and we can read him, and he's doing all the preaching, he's doing all the teaching, he's doing all the sowing, and then he dies, resurrects, and ascends, and he goes, well, by the way, now I'm giving that job to you. Man. I don't know, Jesus, if that was the best idea. <laughs> yeah, it was. You know why? It's how you work out your salvation. It's how you become transformed in this life. Is you follow him and you do what he did. He, do what he told you to do and told me to do. Fourth, this is important in my applications. I think it's the most important in one sense. We need to tend good soil. Now, please hear me. Quick little illustration. Had a really good friend at a church in Abbotsford many years ago. Played in a band with him, actually. Great guy. He got caught up in, uh, there's, you know, there's a certain sect or some people would call them a cult. They like to come door to door and they want to, you know, have the little coloring books and they want to invite you to come to their church. On, and, and, you know, they, they, they have a different Bible. They believe in a different Jesus, right? You know who I'm talking about? I'm not going to mention them. So anyway, they started coming to my friend's door and, and he's getting all, oh, I've got I to gotta argue with them. I've got I to gotta show them how wrong they are. So we would get together for coffee and he knew that, you know, I knew some things about apologetics, things like that. He's like, Glenn, give me something to read. What do I got to do? And I went, well, you know, first of all, buddy, I've got I to be honest with you. I'll just, look, look, let me just give this to you. Remember when Jesus sent out the 72 disciples and he said, listen, if you go into certain places and they receive you, then stay there. And then you go to other places and you proclaim the kingdom of, of God and they, they reject you. He said, what did Jesus tell him, them to do? Dust off your sandals and leave. Move on. Hard, right? Oh, we shouldn't do that? Well, okay, Jesus said they should. So I said to my buddy, I said, okay, so oh, here you can read this book and this one book about, you know, the Bible, why they changed their Bible and what's wrong with their religion, blah, 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 blah. Well, my buddy started getting into that and he was like going on months and months and months and months. And then he figured out, you know, they're going through my neighborhood on Sunday mornings. 
because they don't worship on Sundays. So he started staying home from church so he could invite them into his house and argue with them. Something the Bible tells you not to do. (laughs) It was a huge struggle. And here's my point. Sometimes, some of us, many of us, I've got the t-shirt, do this. We spend far too much of our time on rocky soil, on thorny soil. And we get super discouraged, don't we? These are our friends. We love them. Sure. I think the point of this parable is, if you're a farmer and you know what you're doing, after you plant your seed, what are you going to (laughs) do? And you want to have a harvest. You're going to want to tend the soil that's producing a potential harvest, aren't you? Going to want to do that? I think you are. You're going to want to tend it, water it, and see it through to the harvest. More on that point in just a second, but number five is this. We need to pray to the Lord of harvest to change hearts. See, here's the thing. If you've got a friend who's part of the crowd or on a path, but not the right path, is rocky soil or thorny soil. You cannot change them. You are not the person responsible to win them. Sometimes as a preacher, I forget that. (laughs) I'm thinking, it's up to me, you know. If I would only preach a better sermon. People would come to faith. People would stay in the faith. People would grow in the faith. Actually, it's not up to us. We can't control that. We can do what we're told to do, which is love God and love others. And we can, we can sow seeds, and we can be disciple-makers, which we're called to be. Paul makes it really clear in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, pardon me, where, where he was talking about, first of all, he was talking about divisions in the church because some people were, were likened Apollos as a preacher, and, and others were likened Paul, and Paul's going, guys, but, but he makes this point. He says in verses 3 to 8, I planted, look at this, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither he or she who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Now watch these last few words. Really, it's encouraging. It should be to us. He who plants and she who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to their labor. Those are called blessings. Those are called crowns. In eternity. That is why, friends, we pray at 10.02 every day, Luke 10.2. Right? Luke 10.2 says, The Lord, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his, into his harvest. Who is Jesus praying for? He's praying for you <laughs> and for me. So, yeah, pray for more laborers to come and join us at the Rock Church, but also that we would get the hint and we would go, and we would go. So let me encourage you with this last thing this morning, which takes us back to point number four. I get it, friends. I've spent a lot of time over the years on hard-packed paths, on rocky soils, on thorny soils. I've actually spent a lot of time in the last few years worrying about some thorny soils. It can be very discouraging. But you know what also can happen is you're going you're, you're gonna to fail to be growing in your own faith because that discouragement's going to make you wonder if it's even worth showing up on Sunday morning, reading your Bible. Like, what's the point? Well, let me encourage you. Would you look for some good soil? 
Would you come back to church and see some people who you didn't even know were part of the Rock Church when we closed during this pandemic? If, if, by the way, you're struggling to find someone who's in good soil or has a heart that is good soil and needs discipling in, in, in a dramatic way, like really needs it right now, come talk to me. I know who they are. Speak to your missional community group leaders. They know who they are. Spend your time tending the good soil. And by the way, that includes tending your own heart. Pray with me, would you?